All right. Book of Acts, we're going to be in chapter 13, starting in verse 13. And going through the end of the chapter there as well. So, it's going to be a little while. So we're going to stand together. If you can can make it standing all the way, here we go. Acts chapter 13. It says this. Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. But John left them and went back to Jerusalem. They continued their journey from Perga and reached Pisidian, Antioch. On the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading of the law and the prophets, the leaders of the synagogue sent word to them, saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, you can now speak. Paul stood up, motioned with his hand, and said, Fellow Israelites, and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our ancestors, made the people prosper during their stay in the land of Egypt, and then led them out with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. This took about 450 years. After this, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then he asked for a king. Then, I'm sorry, then they asked for a king. And God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. After removing him, he raised up David as their king and testified about him. I have found David, the son of Jesse, to be a man after my own heart who will carry out all my will. <clears throat> From this man's descendants, as he promised, God brought to Israel the Savior, Jesus. Before his coming to public attention, John had previously proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. Now, as John was completing his mission, he said, Who do you think I am? I am not the one, but one is coming after me, and I am not worthy to untie the sandals on his feet. Brothers and sisters, children of Abraham's race, and those among you who fear God, it is to us that the, word, that the word of salvation has been sent. Since the residents of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize him or the sayings of the prophets that are read every Sabbath, they have fulfilled their words by condemning him. Though they found no grounds for the death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him killed. When they had carried out all that had been written about him, they took him down from the tree and put him in a tomb. But God, but God raised him from the dead and he appeared for many days to those who came up after him from Galilee to Jerusalem who are now his witnesses to the people. As we ourselves proclaim to you the good news of the promise that was made to our ancestors, God has fulfilled this for us, their children, by raising up Jesus, as it is written in the second psalm. You are my son. Today I have become your father. As to this raising, his raising from, from the de- as to his raising him from the dead, never to return to decay, he has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure promises of David. 
Therefore, he also says in another passage, you will not let your Holy One see decay. For David, after seeing, serving God's purpose in his own generation, fell asleep, was buried with his fathers, and ah, decayed. But the one God raised up did not decay. Therefore, let it be known to you, brothers and sisters, that through this man, forgiveness of sins is being proclaimed to you. Everyone who believes is justified through him from everything that you could not be justified from through the law of Moses. So beware that what is said in the prophets does not happen to you. Look, you scoffers, marvel and vanish away because I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will never believe, even if someone were to explain it to you. As they were leaving, the people urged them to speak about these matters the, the following Sabbath. After the synagogue had been dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who were speaking with them and urging them to continue in the grace of God. The following Sabbath, almost the whole town assembled to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what Paul was saying, insulting him. Paul and Barnabas spoke, I mean, boldly replied, It is necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first. Since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, we are turning to the Gentiles. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have you, I have made you a light for the Gentiles to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, woo, they rejoiced and honored the word of the Lord. And all who had been appointed to eternal life believed. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region. But the Jews incited the prominent God-fearing women and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their district. But Paul and Barnabas shook the dust off of their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy in the Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the word of the Lord that came to our brothers and sisters in the first century here in our passage today. God, we pray right now here this morning that you would bless us with the word of the Lord. Show us, Lord Jesus, what it means to respond in joy and not jealousy. Lord, to respond in joy, respond in gladness to the preaching of the word of God. Lord, speak to, me, speak to me and through me here this morning, your words to us here today. Encourage us and edify us, Lord. Build us up that we may build up one another in love. For it's in Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen. You may be seated. All right. Eight minutes. No, seven minutes. Seven minutes. Not bad. All right. So the gospel brings joy or jealousy. Let's look at that passage here, here this morning as we get together. So my question is, why do people go to church? Like, why do people go to a church gathering together on Sundays? You know, why, do they, why do you get out of bed in the morning, on Sunday mornings, to get up and get here? Why did I set an alarm for Jackson and bear his wrath in order to get him to church this morning? 
Well, so I asked, I asked this question on social media, and I got a couple of responses. The first one was, you know, a community for me. Another one said, because it's an awesome way to worship Jesus together with like-minded individuals. And then another person texted me, if I can find it here. Another person texted me and said, you know, go to church and attend gathering could be two different things, but I, I think of attending a gathering as being short-term, as in checking it out. I go to a church regularly because being a part of community is absolutely necessary. Ecclesiastes 4, 10 through 12, and she said, need to touch and talk face to face. The alternative is isolation, which produces bitterness. I thought that was a good point. So my question here this morning is, why do you come to church? Why do people in general in the American church, or even, even more specifically, the Bozeman or Montana church, why do we show up to church? Not those who like, don't really actually show up, but they just watch online in their PJs. That's not showing up. Why do people come to a church gathering to be here in person? Now, my question is, and to the American church, the question is, is it all about you? Is it about you and your needs you know, to receive or get fed, quote unquote? All right? I've heard that all the time. I left that church, they weren't feeding me anymore. I wasn't getting fed there. Right. I've heard that. I've heard lots of different excuses like that. But did you come to maybe give? Did you come to give of yourself to worship, give you give worship and give your presence and give your encouragement, give impartation, give blessing and give ministry to the Lord and to one another? And I would say that I think it's, it's deceiving to try to like go with only the one church is both. Coming to showing up for church is both. It is not a selfish, one-sided relationship of consumer mentality. I just come to get. I just come to receive. You know, if you're, I've heard that if your relationship with God only benefits you, you're doing it wrong. Instagram influencer guy says. Nor is it an altruistic, one-sided producer mentality either. It's not a, you know, kind of like this false humility, which actually is pride of, oh, I don't come for myself. I come for others and only others. I come only to serve, only to give, only to, right? It, nor is it a self-abuse or self-abasement mentality. Like, oh, it's not about me. That actually needs healing. And I think, honestly, sometimes for, for us in the church, we need healing from either mentality. So that we have a balanced mentality of both. I come to give. I come to minister to also to receive. To receive from the Lord. To receive from you. And to give you an opportunity to give to someone who's going to receive. And to be a receiver for someone who's going to give. It's a both and relationship. We both give and receive. And it's an exchange. And here's the thing. We don't take. We receive. There's a difference. We don't take we have our open, you know, we don't come out and, and I, don't, I don't come over here and just like, you know, take, you know, right? right? <laughs> I have open arms to receive what the Lord or what others have to give. But I also give to those who are, have open arms to receive. But we have to have open arms to receive because sometimes for us in the church, that might be the hard part too. 
is being willing to receive, like, oh, no, I'm just here to give. I'm just here to give. I'm just here to give. No. You need to both give and receive. Like having we have one, one arm holding to, get, to be able to, to get, and the other hand like, is given. Right? So that's why God gave us two hands. The gospel, I'm sorry, we receive gospel love from one another as we receive it from Jesus. We, he gave freely, but he, only, he doesn't only give. He didn't only come to serve. He came to receive what? Worship. To receive honor. To receive followers. To receive people. Worship, love, adoration. Coming to the gathering of the church is encountering the gospel every time. We don't get saved every time we, you know, we come together as a church. But we receive joy and we receive grace. We receive mercy. We receive love. And when we respond to the invitation of faith to pledge our lives fully and wholly to Jesus and receive forgiveness of sins and receive the Holy Spirit, that brings great joy. It causes, when we come to faith in Jesus, it stirs, it causes great joy. And then we come together on a weekly basis to experience and be reminded of that love, of that grace, of that mercy, and that joy. Because sometimes the thing that we need to be reminded of most each week is, yes, the love of the Lord, but also the joy of the Lord. Because what does Scripture say? The joy of the Lord is my strength. So if we feel weak, we need joy. If we we feel burdened and heavy laden, we need to experience God's joy. The the yoke that's easy and His burden that's light. When people reject the invitation of faith and rather choose to pledge their lives to themselves in their own way, their own truth, to worship themselves or even to worship God, another God or to worship other or themselves as God, it brings great jealousy. And so that's my point here this morning is that the gospel brings joy when accepted, but brings jealousy when rejected. The gospel brings joy when accepted, but brings jealousy when rejected. Now, not again, I want to make kind of make a clarity here. You know, the word, you know, I love this word semantics. Everyone's like, oh, it's oh, just semantics. I'm like, darn right, it's semantics. Semantics is the study of words and their specific meanings and how to communicate properly with the right words. Anyone ever seen the movie The Giver? Precision of language, please, right? I, do, Dad, do you love me? Uh, precision, precision of language, please, you know. So that's what semantics is. It's precision of language. Saying what you truly mean through specific and correct words while correctly understanding those words. So I want to look at the word jealousy. So jealous stems from the Latin zealous or zealosus, meaning full of zeal. In turn, from the Greek word zealos, which is a, has a root connotation of to boil or ferment or yeast. One origin of the word gelus meant possessive and suspicious. So jealousy is not simply, it's not like this having this desire for what some, someone else has. That's coveting. Jealousy is a zeal that stems from someone being possessive 
and suspicious, putting something down that doesn't benefit them or something that they view as a threat, either to their God or viewing it as a threat to their way of life. Jealousy, get this, jealousy is the root of persecution. It is at the heart of what drives someone to oppress and marginalize someone else. When people reject the gospel message, they desire to turn everyone they know against you. But when people receive the gospel, receive the good news of Jesus Christ, receive the good news of eternal life, then they want to turn everyone they know toward you toward the gospel message to Jesus. That's what we were seeing in our, in our passage today. They wanted to turn everyone in Pamphylia over to listen to Paul and Barnabas and to the gospel message that they proclaimed. So let's look at Paul and Barnabas here. So in your notes, you'll see at the bottom of the page, you'll see the little map of where they were in, on the very far west end of the island of, of, Paphos, of, of Syria. Of Syria. That's the word. <laughs> Cyprus in Paphos. And they sailed up to, up to, the, up to Pisidia there and ended up there. Um, so this is where John Mark left Paul and Barnabas. Now, this is a move that we're going to later visit. But I want, I want to kind of show here because I don't really know. I'm trying to think of in this position, like when, when Mark, John Mark wanted to join them to go back you know, to revisit all the churches that they're going to plant during this first gospel journey. Um, Paul doesn't want to bring John Mark with him because he left them right here. And I don't know if there was necessarily maybe bitterness that happened right here or anger, or maybe Paul like sent him away with blessing. Like, love you, brother. Have fun back in Jerusalem. Tell him we say hi. Tell Peter and John and, you know, those guys to say, hey, what's up? And maybe like what happens during this first missionary journey makes him bitter that John wasn't there to support them. That he left and didn't experience all the persecution that happened during this first gospel journey. So we don't know if this is a, the start of maybe he's, he's mad right now or if he's sending away with blessing, but this is the part. This, this becomes a snare to where when Bar- Paul and Barnabas want to go back onto another journey, Paul remembers this him leaving creates a stink and Barnabas and Saul and Paul split ways during their second missionary journey because of this. This is what happens. Um, But so then we see here that they are invited to 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 encourage to speak in the gathering of the synagogues. Now, not no one, not just anyone can walk into a synagogue and be welcome to speak. I I don't do that here. You know, I, you know, we make sure that I make sure that whoever is going to be speaking, I either trust them or trust their mentor. It's like Richard came. I've only known Richard a little bit, but I trust his mentor and his pastor, Bryce, who came and speak, you know, spoke a few weeks ago, you know, about a month ago now as well. Right. And so anyone, that's why it took six years, because it took six years to build up that trust and knowing Bryce to have him come in and, and preach and speak to you guys. Um, and so it takes building that trust. But these guys, so they were probably dressed, their, their robes were probably actually the robes of a teacher because they were rabbis, they were teachers going and planting churches, the apostolic calling on their lives. They were the teachers, the rabbis, if, if you will, in Antioch. 
back when they were, you know, back for like seven years in Antioch in Syria. And so they had this, these robes, this, this clothing that indicated that they were a teacher. They were someone who could be trusted and entrusted with the people in the synagogue. So they were invited to speak. Um, Antioch. So let's talk about a little bit of Antioch here. So it was the, uh, like the one that was their home base in Syria, was actually one of 16 Antiochs. Come to find out. I only knew of the two, but apparently there were like 16. But it was also, it was named after the emperor's grandfather at the time who named it, uh, Antiochus Epiphanes IV, who was the great persecutor of Israel before the time of Jesus Christ. So it was named for Antiochus, the persecutor of Israel. So they're going into cities that are named for the, pe- for the person who hated Israel and wanted to destroy them. We're forcing them to sacrifice pigs on the altar, to desecrate the temple. And that's what actually caused the great uprising, and they became an independent nation three years later, after resisting uh, Antiochus Epiphanes uh, back in the day. Back in my day. So, so, and then we get to what? We get to Paul's first recorded sermon. Woo! Yay, he can, he can preach. So this is where it, it changes a little bit. So if you look here, look at, at verse 13, right at the very beginning. It says, Paul and his companions. So now the word and name order has switched. So now every time you see it, it's going to be Paul and, Paul and Barnabas. Because, like I said, name order is very important in the original languages. They always put the most important or prominent person's name first. So Paul has now switched positions, and now he's heading up this gospel journey. He's heading up this missionary journey. So Paul and Barnabas. Um, and so he, he goes through this great and, and glorious kind of history lesson, if you will. Kind of, he's trying to build up. He's trying to, he's trying to say, I'm one of you. I'm a Jew just like you guys. Like our people were the ancestors. You know, this is he, the people that God shows, that Yahweh chose as, in, as his inheritor, as his inheritance. Because what had happened, if you go all the way back to, to, to Genesis, you'll see a little thing called the Tower of Babel, or the Tower of Babel, where God was like, you want to keep doing your own thing? You want to keep just fighting against me? You want to be God? Fine. I'm out. I wash my hands of humanity. I'm done with you. God disinherits the entire world, disinherits humanity. Said you are, you know, and like the Jews, like God's you know, accusation of Ben, you are a stiff-necked people, stubborn and stiff-necked people. I'm done. I wash my hands of you. But God then shows Abraham. That was his point. But God broke through. He changed. He relented. He was like, no, I'm not going to give up on my creation. So I'm going to choose for myself a people. I will be their God and they will be my people. I will make a covenant promise with them. Imagine this. Maybe about the amount of people in this room. Abraham and his four wives, <laughs> or, or, and then all of his kids and grandkids and stuff. God looks at him and says, I'm going to make, I'm, you're going to be my people. Think about this. All the people in this room, like, you know, Abraham and all the people that were with him. They were the only people that God was going to choose to be his people. And all the millions of people in the world, tens of millions, of mil- hundreds of millions of people, God said, hey, 
You guys are my, my, are my, my, peeps, my peeps. I'm going to be your God, and you'll be my people. Can you imagine that? Being surrounded by the world that completely rejected Yahweh, and you are the only ones that God chose. And then from there, it started to grow. He said, I will make you like the star. You know, you're in, you're, your descendants like the stars in the heavens. Innumerable. Try to count them, if you, if you will. And now we're here because of that promise. Amen? We're here because of that. Because of his ministry to the Gentiles and God's promise that they will be, that we, Gentiles, non-Jewish folk, would be a part of his inheritance. That he would be our God and we would be his people. He would take up residence in us and among us. That's huge. And what he said, he, he talks about this, you know, led them out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. He mentioned all these details of the story of Israel that they already agreed upon to create this relationship with them. Now, he didn't go into like all the details about the, the, the divisive and not so good parts of Israel's history in the divided kingdom after Solomon and in the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom and Ahab and Elijah and all that. He didn't go into those, all those things because that was even during their time was kind of hotly debated. So he didn't want to create this. I'm, I'm in this boat over here. I'm in this layer. I'm in this, um, what's it called? Label. This ism, or I'm, I'm a this kind of ist, right? I want to make sure that I'm, I'm showing you that I am one of you. Come in and listen to this. This is the word of the Lord. And then what happens? Boom! He goes from David to Jesus. Oh! You know, like his descendant that we've been waiting for, guess what? He came! He's here! The time that we've been waiting for and waiting for and all the gross and disgusting stuff of the divided kingdom has come to an end and now we're in this place we're waiting for the Messiah and the Holy Spirit and guess what? They're here! And guess what? I've got them! And you can too! You can have the Messiah, you can believe in the Messiah and have all of your sins forgiven. And not only that, well wait, there's more. Have the Holy Spirit. You can get the Holy Spirit too. The, the spirit that was on our father David that didn't descend on anyone else to take a possession inside of him until now. He's here. What we've been waiting for is here. Let me tell you about him. Salvation and forgiveness of sins is in Jesus. The resurrection is real and was prophesied, guess what? By David himself. So he says it, you believe it, that settles it. Well, there you go. Follow Jesus because he's the one that he prophesied prophesied about. The kingdom of God and his Christ, his Messiah are here. We are living in the days of the great transition away from the temple worship and sacrifice. Think about it. That was the whole of their entire being and culture. They formed their entire lives around the three pilgrimages every year to Jerusalem. About going and doing the sacrifices. And to say that the temple sacrifice and worship is no longer a thing. Why? Because we have Jesus 
who is the ultimate sacrifice and did away with it. What he says, I mean, Paul even makes this point in several places, like Romans chapter 3. He said a person is justified by faith, what? Apart from the law. We're no longer justified through the law. We're justified now apart from the law. In Romans 10.4, he says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes, who places their faith in Jesus. Christ ended the law. He fulfilled it. And that's why, we, that's why my family and I, we have that Ten Commandments. That's the fulfilled Ten Commandments. Instead of focusing on do not murder, Jesus fulfilled that. And now he's instructing us to cultivate life everywhere we go. If we're cultivating life, we're not thinking about death, hatred, murder, strife, envy. If we're cultivating life, we don't have to worry about anything that's in the law that's warning us against death. Because we're cultivating and living in life. Because we're filled with the Holy Spirit. We don't need the law anymore. Like like he says in Galatians, it was a tutor like for teenagers, to get them to a place to where they could understand how to live their life. And now we've got the Spirit of God in our hearts showing us the namas, the way, the opinion, the world, the perspective, the worldview of Yahweh Himself living in us and among us. He's dwelling among us spiritually. Habakkuk uh, 1.5 says, For I am doing something in your days that you will not believe when you hear about it. What is that? What is that? It's the fulfillment of the messianic prophecies. Forgiveness of sins. The pouring out of the Holy Spirit. The expansion of the identity of possession and being the family and inheritance of Yahweh through adoption to the entire world now including the Gentiles. The gospel is resurrection and renewal for all. The kingdom of God was always meant to go to the Gentiles. Always. Look at Isaiah. He said, what is it? It is prophesied about there in, in there, like to the ends of the earth. All over the Old Testament, there's prophecy after prophecy after prophecy. It's even written about in our, in our passage here. What does it say? Right there in uh, uh, right there in verse 47. This is what the Lord has commanded us. I made you, what? A light for the Gentiles to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And we see Jesus' Jesus' own prayer. The Messiah himself is praying for us in this way. I pray not only for these, that's the disciples, the 120 that were with him in the upper room, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us. That's you. You have believed because of the word passed down for 2,000 years. You believed because of the word, because of their faithfulness to pass down the word of the Lord to you. May they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory that you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me so that they may be made completely one. That the world may know that you sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, 
I want those you have given me to be with me where I am. Why? 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 Why does Jesus want you to be with them? Why? Here it is. Listen to this. So that they will see my glory. Jesus wants you to see his glory. Right there. So that they may see my glory, which you have given me because you have loved me before the world's foundation. Righteous Father, the world has not known you. Remember, Father, you disinherited them. However, I have known you and they have known that you sent me. I made your name known to them while I conti- well, and will continue, continue to make it known so that the love you have loved me with may be in them and I may be in them. That's the glory of our faith. That is the glory of the gospel. That is the glory of the resurrection is that we get to be with him where he is so that we can see his glory. And they accepted it. But let's look at the Jewish leaders. The jealousy of the Jewish leaders. They were jealous. Like I said, almost the whole town, as it says in the Bible here, the entire what? This is a Gentile region. This is Galatia. This isn't Judea. This is Galatia. This is Gentile mostly. So he said almost the entire Gentile town, this included you know, the Gentile God-fearers and converts inviting all their friends and family. They came out to hear the gospel that was now for them. They were, but the, these Jewish leaders were jealous of Paul and Barnabas. Not, like I said, it's not specifically envious because all these people were following him, but they were jealous. They were zealous is a good word. They were fearful and despised Paul and Barnabas for leading the people to follow Jesus instead of the ways of their Jewish tradition. Because they were telling them that they didn't have to go to Jerusalem anymore to worship in the temple because Jesus has become our sacrifice. Because now the Holy Spirit, the spirit that you believe was in the temple is now inside and upon us when we gather as the church. Why would I wait to go down to Jerusalem three times a year when I can go every single week, every single day and be in the Shekinah glory of the Lord That's all, that, that you believed was upon the Ark of the Covenant? Why would I like travel like three weeks to get down there when I can walk three steps out my, you know, across the room and, and visit with my brothers and sisters? They were jealous. They thought that they were defending the faith. They believed to be a righteous, you know, a role for, of righteous indignation rising inside of them. They believed themselves to be protecting the worship of Yahweh, when in fact they were opposing it. Like Elamus Bar Jesus, who we talked about last week, who tried to take the seat away from the proconsul, but failed. However, in this position, this passage, the enemy succeeded. The enemy succeeded in taking the seed of the presentation of the gospel message to these Jewish leaders and was able to devour it so that they would not believe and be saved. One thing that cannot be said of Paul during the first gospel journey here is that he tried to win people over. That he tried to win people over by watering down the gospel Paul didn't hold anything back. He spoke powerfully. He preached the truth powerfully. 
Not rudely, not, not con- condescendingly or condemning. He preached the gospel of love and truth and freedom powerfully. And we need that same boldness. Not to be offensive, not to be jerks out there in the world like, you're going to hell, you dirty, rotten To be radical and powerfully love people and powerfully speak truth in ways that's inviting and let them either accept it or reject it. Preach the like like the whole like this whole like you know catchphrase or you know cliche that says you know oh preach the gospel at all times and if necessary use words. <laughs> that's like I said like that's like saying go and feed the homeless and if necessary use food. It doesn't work. You cannot preach the gospel only with your life. Your life is the is the exclamation point of the gospel message. Them watching you live the gospel. <laughs> gives validity to the gospel message that you will tell them. So yes, live your life in a godly way around non-believers. So that when you tell them the gospel, boom, it aligns together. And it's powerful because your life makes it powerful. Not just because of the message, the words out of your mouth, but your, the words of your mouth and the life that you live coming together and accentuating one another. Because if you try to preach the gospel, but your life doesn't show it, may as well not even share the gospel. But if you live your life, but you don't share it, that's also worthless. Both and, together, powerful in its working. A powerless Christianity is a contradiction to the Bible. The word, uh, the Greek word for approval, seeking the approval of people, is the same word for glory, doxa. So it's this whole concept of: Are we trading the glory of God for the glory of man? Are we seeking the approval of mankind or the the approval of God? Are we seeking the glory of man or the glory of God? Who are you desiring to be glorified by? Because that is what is going to tell us how or if or where or how or when we're sharing the gospel based upon who we're trying to glorify or gain glory from. And that's the whole reason why these Jewish leaders were jealous because they were getting glory from their position, not from their God. So, jealousy or what? The joy of the church. Paul and Barnabas may have been kicked out of the synagogue for, and even driven out of the city by these people, right? But their work was already done. The work of the Lord had been done, had been accomplished in this city. And Jesus, there was a Jesus-worshipping church planted in the city. The other Antioch, right? As it says in verse 46 through 52, what does it say? Paul and Barnabas boldly replied, It is necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first, since you reject it and judge, for yourself, judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. A little bit of sarcasm there. We are turning to the Gentiles, for this is what the Lord has commanded us. I, gave you, I have made you a light to the Gentiles to bring salvation to the end of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they rejoiced. You can almost see them going, <laughs> yeah, but not really. But... They rejoiced and honored the word of the Lord and all who had been appointed to eternal life believed. 
The word of the Lord spread throughout the whole region, but the Jews incited the prominent women, God-fearing women, and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Saul and Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their district. But Paul and Barnabas shook the dust off their feet, like Jesus told them to do, as a, as a testimony against them. I love this verse. And the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit doesn't matter what these prominent Jewish synagogue leaders thought. The ones who thought that they had possession of the word of God, who thought that they were doing the will of the Lord. Because now that they could have full and direct access to Yahweh, it filled them with joy. We must celebrate what God is doing among his church. Here, at Shift Church. But also among other churches as well. The church is in our city. The church is in our country. Rejoice what he's doing. We don't compete with one another. We, we, you know, we spur one another up. We, you know, we encourage each other. I love that. You know, spurring one another on to love and good works. We don't wrestle against other churches. We celebrate God's work in and among them. Why? So that... Our love for the Lord and his word doesn't turn into jealousy. Oh, that church, the way that they preach the Bible. That church doesn't even preach the Bible. Well, that church over there. Joyful and jealous. I'm joyful that God is blessing C3 with powerful worship and great leadership. I'm joyful that Grace Bible has a strong desire to teach the Bible. I'm joyful that Celebration Life Church here in Belgrade is celebrating life and God's flourishing, God's provision. I'm joyful that the Table Church is having honest conversations around the table about life and godliness. I'm joyful that our brothers and sisters, you know, that Bryce and, and, Kev, and Kevin, <laughs> Bryce and Richard, who are from C3 Livingston, that is, they're reaching people who need Jesus, who many other churches may overlook. Or drive away. I'm joyful that God blesses his church when we joyfully come together rather than compete in bitter jealousy. I love 12 stone nights of worship. If you have a chance, so next, not this coming Friday, but the next Friday, the 29th, we're going to be right here. We're going to be right here worshiping with all the churches as, we, as, as many as we can get together. I, got, I even got the announcement out like two weeks early. Woo! Not like a couple days early. <laughs> Two weeks. So tell everyone you know in the, in the town. Get a whole, as many people in the church, in this valley, in this region as we can to come together to worship the Lord. That's what 12 stones is all about. 12 stones is, is about, you know, the 12 stones represented the 12 tribes of Israel, but the 12 stones represented all of the people of God, all the people of Israel coming together under one banner, the banner of Israel. And we are the church, 12 stones of God, coming together to worship our Lord together. And so we're going to be right here on the, on the 29th, 29th uh, of, of this month. Uh, not this Friday, but next Friday. Um, but here's the thing. We must be joyful and never become jealous. And fight and wrestle against what God is doing 
in other churches who are being faithful and not wandering, if, you know, wandering off into false ungodly teaching and false ungodly living. Now, there may be some things that we disagree on, right? But if they worship Jesus and they believe that salvation is, you know, if they agree on the primary things, the, the first things, then we're brothers and sisters. Now, if they start to say that, you know, Jesus and, and Satan are brothers and that you can go off and become the God of your own planet. That's not biblical. That's, yeah. But we invite them into truth. We don't say that you're horrible. Hey, you might want to come over here. And, let me show you this. Let me, let me show you the real Jesus, not Tom Jesus. You know, as, as Mindy would say. But joy. This is where I want to, I want to, I want to end, this, end this here. I want to, this is where I want to land the plane. Joy. Our faith... It's all about joy. If I could give one word as to why we gather as the church on Sunday mornings, joy. Why do we come together to counsel and grow in our relationships with one another? Joy. Why do we worship Jesus? Joy. Why do we want to be with Him in His kingdom one day because, and have eternal life with Him and one another? Joy. Our faith is about joy. The church is about joy. The Bible is about joy. Revelation is about joy. Read past all the weirdness and get to chapter 19, 20, 21, and 22. It's all about joy. All about joy. Our God wins in the end. Our God has won. And he has given us that victory so that we can have joy. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your joy. Lord, we love you and we praise you. Lord, stir within us great joy. Let your joy truly and and powerfully be our strength giving us hope, leading us to love, leading us to engage, leading us to delve into the word and to spend time with you because in you, in your arms, in your presence is true joy. Straight, no chaser, joy. Lord, just fill us with your joy. We love you, Jesus. Mr. Joy himself. For the name of Mr. Joy, Jesus, we pray all these things. Amen.